All right, well, we are in the middle of our Seven Elephants series, and this series is having a profound impact on families. Uh, It really is. We get every single day people um, uh, texting uh, me or uh, sending emails about how this stuff, these messages, are are having a, a real transformative effect in families. Because we're talking about the seven elephants in the room, seven elephants in the family room. Now, you know what an elephant in the room is, right? It's, a, it's an English idiom, and it means this, an obvious problem we do not want to talk about. An obvious problem we do not want to talk about. Now, there may be elephants in the room at your office, you know, boss is a jerk, but nobody wants to say it or talk about it because it's awkward. Um, I, I mean, if you're a boss, they're definitely not talking about you. But there's nothing like the elephants in the family room, in the house. There's a bunch of them. Because we know each other so well and we live such a lot of our lives together that these elephants can grow and grow and grow. And unless we talk about them, they're going to have a negative impact on our home. So we've talked about three elephants in the home already. The first was I don't feel appreciated. Probably every one of us at some point don't feel as though we get appreciated for what we do. The second elephant was that this is not the marriage I had imagined. We might have imagined a certain marital bliss and it's not quite working out like that, so we've got to process that. Last week, Laura Lynn talked us through this elephant, that parenting is really hard. Uh, we don't tell parents that. We have kept that from Justin. We haven't told Justin how hard parenting is. He would have never given birth if we told him, but he's about to experience it. Parenting is really hard. We have to know that and own that and process through. What do we do with that? Today, we're going to talk about elephant number four, that we resent each other. Now, this might come across as pretty harsh. We resent each other. Resentment is a tough word. It's a strong word. And we might think, I don't know if we resent each other, but let's think through. There are always things about the other person, especially somebody in our home that we spend so much time with and have so much life experience with. Because we spent so much time and because we have experienced all this life together, there are some things that just kind of grate on us that tend to grow over time into resentments. Now, since these subjects are elephants in the room and they tend to be very serious subjects, we're trying to tackle these in a lighthearted way. And uh, let's do that by starting out with Sinbad this morning. Take a look. Marriage is work. Marriage is a career. It's not an adventure. You do more before five than most folks do all day. It's like the military. My wife and I, we're together about six, seven years. We're married. We divorced about 10, 11 years. Now we're back together, married eight years. Because we're both so damaged, we can't be with nobody else. We had to come back home. Once you've been married to each other, you're trained. I'm trained. I ain't got time to train nobody else. She ain't got time to train nobody else. Everybody's jacked up. Go back to the one you had. I thought you was crazy. Everybody crazy. I know you're crazy. I can deal with your crazy. I want to help you ladies with questions you have. Anything you might have, something about a man that throws you off, something about your man that drives you crazy. Be romantic. What does that mean? You got to be specific with a man. I don't even know what you're talking about. Be romantic. What? Fix the screen door? What? What do you want me to do? I want romance. I want romance. What? Hold your hand? What? Then say it. Look at your man. Hold my hand. Ah, I got it. I got it. Now you finally got what you're looking for. I want romance. I want, could you read those books? How to make love last forever. How to have romance forever. Too much work. Just say what you want. You got a man always forget your birthday? Forget that. Buy yourself a car. Look what you got me. He'll remember next year. 
We are, we are what we are. We can't help it. And then we get into relationships and things change. You get in relationships. That's why I tell people, before you have kids, travel, see the world. When you first get together, go places. Because once you have children, you're going to go to Chuck E. Cheese. That's all you're going. That's your Europe. That's your France. That's your, that's your Bermuda. Chuck E. Cheese. There's people here who are over 50 with no kids. They don't look old. Look at people with no kids. No wrinkles. They just sit there. Oh, my God, we're going, we're going to Jamaica next week. And people with kids, you don't know the joy. You don't, you don't know the joy. <laughs> Trying to make you have kids. You need some kids. <laughs> Look how happy I am. Shut up. <laughs> All right, here's some bad. All right. So family is work, marriage is work, kids are work. Now it is a great pleasure, believe me, nothing's greater on earth, but it is work and sometimes that work results in resentment. What is resentment? Resentment is this. Resentment is the persistent feeling we're not being treated fairly, that persistent nagging feeling. We're not being treated fairly or getting the due respect, appreciation, affection, help, apology, consideration, praise or reward that we deserve. None of us believe we are getting the things that we deserve from our family, none of us. And so we all have some kind of resentment towards those in our home. For some of us, it might just be little lightweight stuff we have to manage every day. But for some of us, that, that pain builds up over time and some of that resentment can run very deep and even spill out as anger. One man in, in Celebrate Recovery said this, that resentment is like carrying around a sack of horse poop, waiting to smear just a little bit on the other person to kind of get them back. But he says, the more you carry it around, the more you're the one who stinks. That's the reality of resentment. We think there's some kind of justice in carrying around all these memories and this pain of what people in our family have done to us, or they don't treat us fairly or give us the respect that we deserve. And so we carry around this resentment. And when there's opportunity, we try to take some of that and smear it on the other person. But the reality is we are the ones who are burdened. We are the ones who stink. Resentment is a terrible, terrible thing. Resentment is, it can be defined as this. It's more of a lingering mood than an emotional state. Emotions kind of come and go. Resentment is deeper than that. It's a mood, a lingering mood. And the behaviors it motivates are more habit than choice with disastrous effects on health and well-being. Resentment is something we all have, whether a little bit or a lot, and it's something we need to learn how to manage. We need to learn how to be free from resentments. Now, in order to be free from resentments, we have to identify them. So you ready to have some fun? We're going to identify specific resentments from the family members sitting next to you right now. You ready? Does that sound like fun? It's not going to be fun, but we're going to have to do it. You don't have to say anything, but in your head, keep a list of resentments that you might be carrying around. That's those stinky resentments you might be carrying around. What are your childhood resentments? This could be very personal and very painful. What are the resentments that you're carrying from your childhood? Maybe there was anger in your home. Maybe your parents said terrible things to you. I've talked to people well into their 90s who can remember the day and the exact phrases their parents used to, to harm them with their words. What are these resentments? Maybe there was addiction in your home. Maybe there was violence in your home. Maybe there was betrayal as you were growing up. Maybe you felt alone or uncared for. Own those resentments. Identify, name those resentments because you're carrying them around. How about marriage resentments? 
Maybe your spouse is not meeting up to the expectations you had from them. Maybe, not, maybe they're not meeting their commitments they made to you. Maybe they've even betrayed their marriage vows. There are marriage resentments that build up when we carry around. There are resentments that parents have towards their kids. We don't like to admit this. We don't like to admit this. And when we post on social media, it's the perfect family, perfect kids, aren't we wonderful? But the reality, every parent has some resentment towards their kids. And some of us have to dig a little deeper than others, but it's there. The kids are a lot of work, and, and maybe as a result, we don't have the finances, or we haven't take, taken the trips, or maybe we have a high-maintenance kid, or, or somebody who's just lazy and not working, or, or somebody who is rebellious, whiny. I mean, uh, there can be a lot of things here. It's okay to own the reality that sometimes parents have resentment toward their kids. And some kids have resentment toward their parents. You know, their parents just being too overbearing, too many expectations, maybe too controlling, not letting them be who, who they are, um, you know, trying to fit their world into their lives. Resentment just builds and builds and builds, and it's this stinky sack that a lot of us carry around our home. But we love the people that we resent in our home. We love them. Novelist Kim Edwards said this in one of her novels. She says, his love for her was so deeply woven with resentment that he could not untangle the two. This is just normal family life. This complex interweaving of love and affection and resentment and sometimes anger, we have to learn how to deal with it. All of us carry it. We have to learn to deal with it. Uh, some of you may be um, Game of Thrones watchers. Uh, we would not necessarily recommend that in church officially. We will not watch episodes in children's ministry. Um, but there is this massive, massive controversy going around because one of the main threads of the show was a character walking from anger and resentment to mercy. This is seven seasons of anger and resentment to mercy. And just last week, this character moved from mercy to resentment, to anger, to wrath, and the entire world is freaking out. There's been over one million signatures to make the Game of Thrones producers remake the eighth season. That's how offended they are that this character which was this good news story of walking from resentment to mercy has now gone backwards from mercy to resentment to anger to wrath. And so I want us to understand that our lives are also a plot. Our lives are a plot in our story. So here's the question. Are we moving toward resentment and anger or are we moving toward mercy and kindness? What is the direction we're heading? What's our plot line? Where is it going? For some people, that plot line is going deeper into resentment and anger. For some, it is going towards mercy and kindness. Let this be our plot line. Let this be our plot line. So, so how can we deal with the resentments that we all carry with our family members? Well, we've got to understand the core of resentment is a lack of forgiveness. Resentment lingers from a lack of forgiveness. And that is what the Bible is all about. That's what this message of Christianity is all about, that God chose to forgive us, that God is not harboring resentment or wrath towards us. He's a forgiving and kind God. That's the path that he chose for the story of his relationship with us. And, and so in order for us to be free from this stinky sack of resentment, we've got to learn to choose the path of forgiveness. Proverbs 17.9 says this, love prospers when fault is forgiven. And in our homes, we want love to prosper. And in order for love to prosper, in order for our home to be free from resentment, we have to forgive faults. But dwelling on faults separates people. That's what resentment does, a dwelling on faults. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is a decision, and I want us to, to just land on this, 
so thoroughly. Forgiveness is a decision. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not a feeling. In fact, so often we deal with this in, in pastoral counseling because people come in with their sack of bitterness. They plop it on the floor and they, let's talk about our bitterness. Let's talk about what that person did. And, and then there's this idea of forgiveness that comes in and people will often say, I don't feel like forgiving them. To which we say, that's fine. You don't have to feel like forgiving them, but it's in your best interest to forgive them. It's in your best interest to not carry around the sack of stinking resentment. It's in your best interest to walk the road of forgiveness even though we don't feel like it. I, I have to believe if God operated with us the way he may feel, I'm not sure that would be to our benefit. God made a decision. His will was to choose to see us as forgiven and dearly loved, to show mercy and kindness towards us, and to not punish us in the way that we may deserve. So what will our story be? Are we going to choose this road of forgiveness, uh, the decision to treat someone as though they never offended you, or to cease feeling resentment. Over time, we have freedom then from resentment. Forgiveness can be a tough subject for a lot of people, actually for everybody. Forgiveness is a tough subject for everybody because if I forgive you for offending me, what does that mean? It means you got away with it. And if we do not like people getting away with offending us. If somebody hurts us, what do we wanna do? Hurt them back plus one so they don't do it again. That's human nature. And that's, that's something we all will do as a hair trigger. You offend me, I offend you back plus one. You get it? Don't do that again. Forgiveness says you offend me, I'm gonna forgive you. And the emotion of that is tough, it's injustice. You just got away with something. And if you got away with something, that means what? You might hurt me again. So for those of us who have been deeply hurt, it's even harder to forgive. Because if we've been deeply wounded or deeply even abused and somebody gets away with that, oh my gosh, the feeling of that injustice is almost unsurvivable for some. So I'm gonna put forgiveness in, in three categories and, and I have found this to be very, very helpful with so many people. For those of you who have been deeply wounded, deeply abused, I wanna encourage you to forgive and bail. Forgive and bail, forgive and set boundaries. God never asks us to continue to be abused. In fact, um, there are some kind of uh, small threads uh, of Christianity that would say, you know, if, if you're in an abusive relationship, you gotta stick it out and stick it out and forgive and forgive and forgive. You know, Jesus says forgive seven times 70. That means forgive forever, so stay in an abusive place. No, now, that is not the heart of God. I say that with every bit of confidence. If you are in, a, in an abusive, dangerous position, physical abuse, sexual abuse, get out. You can still walk the road of forgiveness. It will be in your benefit to walk the road of forgiveness. For some of you, after you call the cops, walk the road of forgiveness. You understand what I'm saying? God wants us safe. God wants us sound. He wants us thriving. He wants us flourishing. That doesn't mean people get away with crimes or get away with abuse. Never. But that doesn't mean we can't forgive. We can set healthy boundaries. Call the cops if you need to. Go to a safe house if you need to. Tell a teacher if you need to. It's something deeply wrong is going on. But over time, walk the road of forgiveness that is in our best interest. Now, Jesus even said this. He said in Matthew 5, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. One of the radical things that Jesus did was to show us how to even love those who are abusing us. That doesn't mean we stay in that situation. 
It just means in our, it's in our best interest to walk the road of forgiveness, to be free from the stinking sack of resentment and anger that can, that can linger and impact our entire life. And I'll tell you this, if you've been the victim of, of deep and profound abuse and violence and sexual abuse, if you feel that rage your whole life, that anger, that resentment, they still own you. Your abuser still owns you as long as you are a slave to that feeling. And so walking the road of forgiveness is so freeing where that abuser no longer has control over your life or your emotions. But you can set healthy boundaries. We'll call that forgive and bail. For those of you who are in dysfunctional families, there's forgive and be careful. Forgive and be careful. If your family has things like um, uh, substance abuse or irresponsible spending that's just drowning your family, chronic negativity, demeaning one another, then your family is dysfunctional. Uh, I grew up in a dysfunctional family, um, and, and so I understand what that's like to navigate that, to walk the road of forgiveness, but to be careful. And, and I'll tell you this, my mom is one of my heroes because my mom chose this road in our own home. There wasn't deep you know, violence or abuse in our house, but there was persistent addiction to substances. And my mom walked a, a years-long journey of forgiving and be careful. So there were times where she bailed. There were times when, okay, kids, we're out. And then there was a little bit of healing reconciliation, and there was multiple times of separation. So there are times when it's okay to bail. But then there's this discernment. You know, do we come close? Is there healing taking place? This is to forgive and be careful. And then through the grace of God, through this church, my family was healed. We all came to faith in Christ. We all understood God's grace and we have healed and we are healing over time. It doesn't happen all the time, but it can't happen with you and your family. If there are dysfunctions, walk the road of forgiveness. Don't be owned by resentment, but be careful. Be careful. Part of the trick here is in a family that's dysfunctional, if there, as, long, as long as it's not a dangerous situation, you can certainly choose to stay. But as you stay with this family and as you navigate this dysfunction, be careful, but also be careful not to treat each other poorly in that dysfunction. Anger for anger doesn't transform anything. Love transforms. Grace transforms. Grace can make a family go from dysfunction to function. It can happen over years. It doesn't happen every time. There are no guarantees. But love is what transforms people. I love the way Psalm 103 puts it. The Lord is compassionate and merciful slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us or remain angry forever. This is how God treats us. He does not punish us uh, for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. This is so key. He doesn't deal with us as we deserve. This is the key to transforming a home. If you're in a dysfunctional home, don't treat each other the way they deserve. It's not to be irresponsible. It's not to put yourself in a dangerous position. But, but mercy and love is what transforms a home. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. Choosing the path of grace can heal a home, but do so carefully. There's forgive and bail if you're in a dangerous situation. There's forgive and be cautious if you're in a dysfunctional situation. But for a lot of us that are in okay situations or, or even our family is thriving, there is this concept of forgive and forget. Forgive and forget is not healthy when there's abuse or dysfunction, but it is healthy in just the day-to-day -day rhythms of life to forgive and forget. 
Now, what I want us to understand is forgiveness is not a transaction. We talk about this a lot here. Forgiveness is a state of being, not a series of transactions. And so when it comes to your house, if you have an okay house or better, you just need to manage the day-to-day disconnects. Forgive and forget is what it's all about. And forgiveness is not a constant matter of you failed, you have to admit your failure, you have to confess your failure, you have to get back into right standing. Uh, A lot of people think that that's what God wants from us. Every time we sin, we have to confess and repent and be better. No, that is not true. That is not true. God offers a state of forgiveness. We are forgiven. We were forgiven before we were even born. That's how much God loves us. That's how much he's committed to us. He forgave us not because we did all the right things to earn forgiveness, because that's who we are. We are forgiven. What does Ephesians 1.4 say? Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. That's how God looks at you right now. You are holy and without fault in God's eyes. That's grace. That's mercy. That's forgiveness. God doesn't hold resentment against you. You know, we're not perfect. Every day we do things that are wrong. Every day we have these little attitude problems. Every day we make maybe some choices that aren't the best. But God looks at us as holy and without fault in his eyes. That's grace. That's forgiveness. God holds no resentment. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is what we celebrate in every song and in every sermon. What we celebrate is God's love, his forgiveness poured out upon us. He looks at you and says, you're perfect, you're perfect, you're perfect. We look at ourselves and say, I'm not perfect. You go to church and you get hammered by the preacher. You're not perfect. All right, I get it. But in fact, what God says is you are perfect in his eyes. You are perfect in his eyes. And he proved that by giving his son and his son giving his life on a cross as the full expression of the love of God that he would be the victim of this world, suffering and sin and shame and scorn, and he would die, he would succumb to it and rise from the dead saying to the whole world that our failures do not have the victory. We're not defined by our failures. We are defined by God's grace and mercy. Now, if we receive that grace and mercy from God, then how do we treat each other at home? How do we treat each other at home? It's this rhythm of of forgiving and forgetting and really treating people the way God treats us. So as I've said in the past, I have declared to Rancho that I have the perfect wife. She's the perfect wife. Now, is she in fact a perfect human being? What's the answer? Oh yeah, you're you're too careful. Uh, No, she's not. In fact, if we had 16 or 17 hours, I would list all the flaws that I've kept a record of. No, I'm kidding. Um, She's not a perfect human being, but in my eyes, it's my responsibility to declare her my perfect wife, holy and flawless. And so when we go throughout a day and they're saying things that she does, just little things she may not intend to mean or just little things, just forgive and forget, just moving on. She's my perfect wife, perfect wife. And sometimes it's, she's my perfect wife. And I guarantee she does that a lot with me, a whole lot with me. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Get this, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. That's our privilege. That's our pleasure to forgive each other in our homes the way God forgave us. If you're in a dangerous situation, I just want to be clear, forgive and bail. If you're in a dysfunctional situation, forgive and be cautious. And we have all kinds of help for you. Pastoral counseling, safe harbor, Christ-centered therapy. Um, We've got celebrate recovery, forgive, but be cautious. But for those families who just need to learn 
the daily rhythm of, of love to get rid of this resentment is forgive and forget. Just let the small stuff go. We've got five minutes left. How do we forgive? How do we forgive? It's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. There's four things, and, and, and I just, I read a lot on forgiveness this week. Sometimes 20 steps to forgiveness is like, I, okay, can't do that. Four. There are four ways to forgive. So remember early in this message, you identified some of the resentments that you have in your own head. Resentment from your childhood, resentment in marriage, resentment with kids and kids resenting parents. You have those in your head. Here is the road to forgiveness, the road to, to moving past resentment. First is to own and to feel the offense. Own and feel the offense. Well, that doesn't sound very forgiving. If we don't own that we are offended, if we just forget it, um, that's the way actually to build up resentment. If we don't deal with an offense, it will not be flushed down the toilet. That will go into a bag. You get what I'm saying? There's an int- I, sorry for the poop analogy. I'm sick. I just, um, we have to deal with it. If we don't deal with it, we will keep it around, but we've got to learn to flush this stuff down the toilet. So we need to own and feel the offense, process through it. I was offended by somebody, my parents, my spouse, my kids, my parent, or whatever. I was offended by somebody. Own that. Ask yourself why you were offended. Deal with it. Deal with it. And then to talk about it. To talk about the offense. This says talk. What, what doesn't it say? Yell. Don't yell about the offense. Talk about the offense. My wife has become a master at this. And I'll tell you why. As we go through this family series, you'll hear me say a lot, my wife does this better than me. She does. A couple of weeks ago, I did something to offend my wife. I did not do it intentionally, but she was offended. And she waited for the right time, and she just said, hey, I just want you to know, this thing that you did was offensive to me. Didn't make me feel valued. And my initial just reaction was, what? Oh, that doesn't make sense, I didn't mean it. No, but just like hearing her, hear her, hear her. So as she told me why she felt offended, I had to put myself in her position, and I thought, okay, now I get it, I get it. And I apologized, deeply apologized, and, and what I said was, will you help me not to do that again? And it was this good just kind of processing. She could have easily flew off the handle. She could have easily hammered me right when that offense happened. But she has just learned the art and the science of letting go of resentments, to talk about these offenses calmly. Third, <clears throat> replace offenses with gratitude. As we work through our offenses, replace them with gratitude. It is so easy and natural for us to build up resentments. So easy and natural to build up resentments. We just keep piling on the things that, that have gone wrong. What we have to do is turn that around and say, okay, I'm gonna practice the art of, of forgiveness to feel the offense, to talk about the offense and let it go, but I'm gonna put in my bag something different. I'm gonna put in my bag the things I'm thankful for. So I could resent my wife, my wife could resent me, kids, parents. We could build up resentments, but instead we're gonna to choose to be, great, to be grateful. Thank you so much for being who you are, wife, husband, child, parents. Thank you for who you are, thank you for what you do, to notice them, to appreciate them, to tell them, and to thank God for them. I absolutely love 1 Thessalonians 1, 2. The Apostle Paul says, I always thank God for you. There's something very special about thanking God for your family. And I'm not just talking about a dinner table prayer that says, God, thank you for my family, but a detailed prayer that says, God, here's why I'm thankful for my husband. Here's why I'm thankful for my wife. Here's why I'm thankful for my kids and my grandkids and list it out to God. And, and you might think to yourself, well, doesn't God already know? Yes, he does. Put this in your little Christian fanny pack. 
Prayer doesn't do anything for God. Prayer does everything for us. Prayer does everything for us. When we come to God and thank God for our spouse, it heals our heart. It fills our bag up with good things, right? Not stinky things. Practice the habit of thanking God in detail for who your family is. Replace resentment with gratitude. Fourth, embrace your family as they are. This is a big deal. I cannot overemphasize this. Embrace your family as they are. My daughter's about to get married and she and I are having just a bunch of these little conversations and they're fun. They're a great couple. It's gonna be awesome. I'm gonna be a blubbering mess when I officiate this thing. But I said, hey, you know you're married uh, to an, you're marrying an athlete, right? Yeah, of course, you know. She's attracted to this baseball guy, you know, this specimen of an athlete. She was attracted to him. I said, uh, you know how much she watches sports now? Yes, with a big eye roll. He's gonna keep watching sports like that when you're married. (laughs) Well, uh, huh? (laughs) She's been very mature about it, but you marry a sports guy, you get a sports guy till death do you part, right? You marry a girl who likes to hang out with her girlfriends and that, I mean, keep in mind, we marry who we marry. Now there should be some courtesy towards the marriage for sure, right? There should be a valuing of the marriage above other things, but you marry who you marry. So often we end up resenting the very thing we were attracted to before we got married. Happens all the time, all the time. So just know you married who you married and just kind of celebrate that, right? Know that. Same thing with your kids. Your kids come as they come. I'm convinced after having four kids that 80% of who they are is genetic, 20% is environmental. They come with different temperaments, different likes, different dislikes, I mean, different ways of handling stress. I mean, they're just, they come as they come. And so our job is to embrace them as they are. Embrace our family as they are. I love Ephesians 4 too. Always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other. Making allowances, I love that. Making allowances for each other's faults because of love. Love makes allowance for faults. Love does not endure unsafe behavior, bail. Love does not endure dysfunction, right? Proceed with caution. But love does allow us to be in a family with imperfect people, right? You married an imperfect people. You gave birth to imperfect people. You are an imperfect people. Let's make allowances for that. We're imperfect. This family's imperfect by design. I'm gonna close with this proverb. It's a fantastic proverb, a proverb to live by. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. You get the point? If you want a clean life, have nobody in it. If you want a clean life, an easy life, have nobody in it. You'll have a clean, pristine life. There will not be any anger, resentments, no, nothing complex to manage, but you will be all by yourself. What's the second half of this proverb? But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. If you want to thrive in life, you need the ox in the stable. And with an ox in the stable comes what? A lot of this. What do we do with it? What do we do with it every day? Just clean the stable every day, every day. What are those little things that we can kind of forgive and forget? If your stable becomes an absolute mess and it's dysfunctional, proceed with caution. You can forgive each other, right? But we can walk a journey together by God's grace. The idea of giving up resentment takes intentionality. It takes a daily cleaning of the stable so you can say, God, thank you 
for this ox of a husband, right? Thank you for my family. Thanks for these people around me. I get the pleasure of living this life with them. And yes, we make messes, but that's part of the deal. It's part of the fun. It's part of what makes family family. But unless we learn how to deal with uh, resentment by daily forgiving uh, the little things and handling maturely the conflicts, um, we will not live a life that thrives. We will not live a life, as God's word says, that is a harvest. In order to live a life that's truly a harvest, we've got to learn the daily art of forgiveness. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you that you're a God of love and mercy, a God of grace and kindness, a God who does not treat us the way we deserve to be treated, but instead you sent your son Jesus to be a, a sacrifice, to, to become even a victim of this world's failure, and then rise again from the dead to say to all of us that, that we are not defined by failures. This world is defined by love and forgiveness, the love of a heavenly father. We embrace, we receive your forgiveness towards us. God, help us to then live uh, in a way that forgives others, especially those at home. Uh, help us to believe the best in each other. Help us not to hold on to uh, the daily little disconnects that come our way. Help us to, to forgive and forget to clean the stable every day. Help us to be grateful for those in our family. And for those families that are dysfunctional, I pray that you would give them that determined effort that there is help. They can reach out for help here. They can get all the help they need to become more functional. And God, for anybody who's in a dangerous situation, give them the courage to bail and then to walk the healing road of forgiveness. Uh, God, we, we thank you for your forgiving heart towards us. Help us to be forgiving towards others. That'll truly be a life that thrives, as your word says, uh, a, a harvest for us all. In Christ's name we pray, and everybody said, amen.